This is Music Ed Amplified. Hello everyone out there in education land. You are here at Music Ed Amplified, a haven, I hope, for music teachers, where we keep it real about the ups and downs of our profession, as well as a place where I strive to talk about issues of anti-bias, anti-racism, and anti-ableism, and whenever possible, elevate the voices of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color who are willing to share their expertise in various areas from which we all need to learn. Now, I know many of you out there are officially enjoying summer, and I am truly happy for you. And then there are those of us late starters who are still in the mix, trying to make it to the end of what has been, at least for me, the hardest year as a professional teacher that I've ever experienced. Now, my saying that probably sounds familiar because I said it last year at this time, but it's true again, and then some. If you know me, you know I love being a non-scientist, amateur student of the intersection of neuroscience and how humans, particularly very young humans, become musical. So when I tell you I am absolutely thrilled about today's guest, I do so with a huge smile on my face. Dr. Chrissy Doyle Thomas is a medical neuroscientist and professor in Toronto, Canada. She's an expert in medical conditions that affect the brain and mental health. She has received several prestigious fellowships, and her research has been published in numerous high-impact peer-reviewed journals and presented nationally and internationally to both academic and non-academic audiences. Dr. Chrissy has been celebrated as one of Canada's top 150 Black women who excels within her field. Dr. Chrissy is passionate about helping people maximize their potential as it relates to understanding how the brain works. She is committed to translating scientific research into meaningful information that can help communities live healthy, mindful lives. And she sure did that in today's episode. Not only did we talk about music and the brain, but we were also able to engage in real talk about the stress educators are under, with Dr. Chrissy outlining some practical, powerful ways to counteract that stress so we can try to keep on going as teachers without having to constantly sacrifice our well-being. So let's get to it. So... Dr. Chrissy, I am yeah. so excited to have you here. Thank you for being on Music at Amplified. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Absolutely. And I have been following you on Instagram, and we're going to share all that information in the show notes. So please go uh, follow Dr. Chrissy. And I just am so I just really love the whole, as the young folks say, vibe of your work uh, and your enthusiasm. And I am not like a necessarily like super joyful person. So it's kind of nice. I think I gravitate <laughs> when I see somebody who seems <laughs> joyful and competent and passionate. So uh, thank you for the work you do. Well, I appreciate all those kind words. Thank you so much, <laughs> Missy. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope to do in the future at least at least you know a full episode about this because 
Uh, many people who are listening know it's something I love to nerd out on and learn about as often as possible. But of course, yeah. I can't let an opportunity to ask a real neuroscientist to talk a little bit about plasticity, uh, what it is and its role in learning for kids, specifically for the purposes of the podcast between the ages of two and seven. But we have people who work with all ages of humans, but I would say a, a vast majority of our listeners work with and or parent or care for uh, children in this developmental period. And so what I want to ask specifically is what you see as the benefit of doing. And I'm, you know, if music teachers are listening, they know I'm put in quotes. We call it like you can learn about music and right. you can do music. So things like singing, creating things, playing games, dancing with our young students, especially because we are trying to build neural networks for future musical learning, in addition to the joy and growth and learning that happens in the moment. Could you talk about these things for our listeners? Yeah. And you know what, this is a great place to start, Missy, really. And, you know, musical activities, whatever they might be, um, really gives the brain a multi-sensory workout. And I use the word workout on purpose, right? right, Because that's where the plasticity bit comes on. We're exercising the brain. It's the way we change the brain. And musical activities have been shown to strengthen things like memory, helps us to pay attention, it perhaps even improves reading ability. So it goes beyond just the ability to do music, um, but it really captivates and um, expands the learning process because we're exercising the brain in ways that reinforces that circuitry. So, you know what, at first scientists thought that the brain could benefit from just listening to music, right? So, you know, there was a time that, you know, folks right. were playing Mozart for their kids, but, well, you know, yes. or, or you know, when, when, when the babies were in the tummies, they were right. putting those headphones in the tummies mm-hmm. trying to play Mozart. And you know what, it's interesting because I think it was at that time an oversimplification of of how we understand music to impact the brain. And studies have since showed that um, listening to music doesn't actually make anyone, um, um, a kid, smarter. Uh, Rather, it kind of raises the the level of enjoyment. It increases the the feeling of, it decreases the feeling of stress. So it more readies the brain to focus and it readies the brain to um, engage in whatever activity they're doing in a more meaningful way, a way that uh, increases attention and decreases stress. Now, this is when you're listening to music. But there is a tremendous impact to to doing music, playing music, like you say, making music and those kinds of things. And that has a greater impact on the brain. It's like, you know, the same way we think of playing sports will improve your physical condition much more than watching it on TV. Right. Right, right. So it's so the passive nature of just listening to music isn't enough to change the brain concretely. But doing music, as you say, has a tremendous impact in exercising the brain and really bringing on those neuroplastic features. And when we say uh, plastic, it's just a way of saying that the brain can change. 
And the brain can change with experience, especially uh, across our entire lifespan, but especially in that young age group where there's yeah. so much brain development and, and learning going on, the brain is very malleable and it can change with experience. And that's why doing music is, is so important. When we look at you know imaging technology to look at the brain, at, like take pictures of the brain or look at the brain in action, or even when people uh, graciously donate their brain to research after they've passed away, those studies have shown that auditory areas in the brain, visual areas in the brain, motor areas um, are in specialized expert musicians are highly sophisticated and developed. And it was because of their exposure to music, right? Mm. Um, the auditory system, you know, uh, processes sound more effectively when after music training, and that can translate to speech, um, kind of understanding speech sounds better. So think about the impact of that when you're learning to speak and pronounce words and read right. and all those kinds of things, right? Uh, brain areas that control instrument related muscles um, and body parts like your fingers and your mouth, et cetera, uh, they have a bigger representation in the brain. There are more neurons um, devoted to those fine-tuned uh, muscle movements because of the practice of doing music. And studies also show that, you know, uh, better musical abilities can lead to higher reading scores because of the link between hearing, speech, and mapping out the sounds. Mm. Um, and it also shows uh, tremendous benefit in, in socio-emotional awareness, like the ability to identify and manage and express emotions are impacted by doing music. A good example of this Yay. is when very young kids are more likely to interact positively with their peers who they play music with because yes, there's a familiarity I remember this there. Research. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a familiarity there. There's a comfort there. And they, they're used to working together within the music setting that can translate into other settings. So I think that the benefit, and not only I think, but the research shows the benefit to doing music is monumental. It really does impact the brain in meaningful ways. And it also trans, you know, transcends just music and 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 generalizes into other learning systems and other kind of network systems in the brain. Hmm. It's almost two things. Um, you know, you're talking about the impact of being musical uh, at a young age on other, you know, extra musical things. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about how is this building our capacity to be musical in the future? You know, the mm -hmm. music making that we're doing now. Right. Because, of course, as a music teacher, my whole, you know, thing is... I want you to engage musically now, and I also right. want you to be at your uh, aptitude level, which we talk a lot about in music. I want you to thrive for the rest of your life musically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just good to hear that, you know, that's happening. You're building those. Right, networks. right. Definitely. And, you know, you know, just to kind of continue on the conversation about uh, neuroplasticity there. And, and just to kind of define that a little bit, we're referring to like the brain's ability to restructure, rewire itself based on um, experience, right? So right. the ability, and that's what learning is, like when, when kids are exposed to uh, doing music, to learning music, they're building networks in their brain that supports that 
behavior that supports that singing or that music playing or that um, or that teamwork or what have you. And the more you engage those networks, it's the more automatic they become. You're like training the brain to adopt a particular pattern of behaving under a certain context within a certain context so the 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 more you engage that pathway or that activity the easier it's going to become because the brain's like oh i've been here before i've done this before it's familiar let's just yes let's get everything (laughs) aligned and do it right i i always i use the example with my students about you know when you first learn how to drive when i first learned how to drive everything about me was engaged. I remember right. coming out of one of my lessons and my entire body was so tense Clenched. and hurting. Yes. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? Because literally I was I was using all of the resources in my brain, my body to just mm. do this task. Right. Now, after driving for decades on decades, <laughs> I can go from point A to point B and not even know how I got there. Right, it's so it's automatic. Out. It's so automatic. And it's the same thing with, with music, with doing music and music training. The more you engage um, a student in doing something musical, it's easier the brain um, has of a time to recruit that circuitry and and apply it in future situations. Yeah. And I have a question. Answer it as you are able yeah. to. Or, um, this is this. You won't know this, but this is controversial in okay. my little enclave of professionals. So <laughs> would you say there's no way I can ask it without being leading. So <laughs> go ahead. Um, when I'm working, so my, in the way I approach working with, let's say kindergartners and first graders. So seven and under, right. right. You know, um, to me, what's the biggest imperative is to do music. So singing games, you know, making up songs, moving to music in multiple ways uh, as opposed to many of my colleagues who are focused on reading notation, um, Mm. introducing notation and reading notation, something that I'm not saying is devoid of music making, but if I'm understanding what music making is, is not the richest experience. Um, So my approach is more, I want to capitalize on this kind of boom time neurologically um, right. by just because that seems like the most powerful and to be honest, the most fun mm-hmm. thing to do. And then later I believe, and this is, you know, not because I'm a neuroscientist, just because I'm logical that when it's time for them to s- assign a, a name, a category to these things, Right. Because they have so much experience with it, that labeling becomes very, not just easier, but more powerful. As opposed to, say, I have you in kindergarten and I put up quarter notes on the board and I say quarter note, quarter note, quarter note, quarter note. I believe a kindergartner can easily memorize that quarter note, quarter Mm -hmm. note, quarter note, quarter note. So, it, do you have a response to that as you hear me say that? Because I feel like I'm kind of sometimes a lone person because I think everybody learned this way. We all learned this way when we were younger. But I'm right. like, we're wasting some time. Do you know what I mean? Yes. No, I do hear what you mean. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm not a 
I'm not a um, a music teacher, so right. I can't really speak to the to the to the tried and true methods of sure. teaching music. Of course. But as a neuroscientist, I I follow your train of thought, and I and I agree with the fact of doing music and experiencing music and activating more brain networks at a time in experiencing mm-hmm. music. Longer lasting memory and longer lasting learning. And it's and especially when emotion is involved. When we think about emotion, it's a it's a very strong um, um, kind of catalyst to creating memory. So you can think, for example, mm. you can think of something that was unfortunately was a terrible experience for you. Right. One experience of that, I'm sure that memory is is hardwired <laughs> into your brain yeah. <laughs> and you can recall it whether or not you want to, right? But a more passive experience of what show you watched last week, Wednesday at 4.30 <laughs> at the, in the afternoon, it's a passive experience. Mm. You probably don't even remember what that was. A mute music, uh, sorry, not music, emotion is a catalyst for learning and, and it, it really helps to, to iron down those um, those those lessons and that learning. So as long as music um, teaching, I would say, is evoking emotion, okay. it will be more powerful to the learning. If the mechanics are doing that learning, what a quarter note is, then right. there's, it's possible that that can kind of translate and carry on. But if dancing and singing and just bringing on all that body movement and really kind of evoking happiness and joyfulness and creativity, that's going to be super powerful for that student to kind of learn what music is about, that experience. So then when they do have to apply the mechanics of it, they know, okay, it's more than just quarter note is one beat, right, but it's right. like, how does it make me feel? Yeah. Then you have the, then you have the, and, and I am, I am was a musician as well. I was a trained vocalist. Um, but oh, what great. does dynamics mean? Like, you know right. what I mean? Just yep. having experienced that in an activity helps me when I get to, you know, a particular type of music that I am trying to perform, know how to be quiet, how to be loud, when to grow the emotion in the sound. So I say all that to say um, music teaching can be quite a dynamic thing and and approached in many different ways but the more emotion is added into that lesson and the more um, a student can experience the wholeness of music and really engage in not only the analytical part but the creative part and the emotional part is the more the longer lasting that memory is going to be in that brain okay and that's great because I think I tend to be too dismissive of that kind of introduction of notation in a sense that's Mm -hmm. to me too early, but I do like what you're saying that because I have seen people do it in a fun and cute way. I don't, I don't think there's no merit to it. And I want to be clear. I think my thinking is, and I love what you're saying. I've never really put that component of emotion so much Mm -hmm. into the mix, but my thing is more, if I could decide between reading the notation and chanting it and doing some fun, cute stuff and moving that notation or singing that notation also with the emotion, I will always take the music making over that analytical piece because there is a place for the analytical piece. I just believe we introduce it too soon when we could be capitalizing on all of it 
You know what I mean? Right. So thank yeah. you for humoring me with that question. <laughs> One day I'll ask you to come back and we'll, I'll talk about it more at length. Um, but I do have one more question when it, when it comes to students. Right. And that has to do with a concept that we hear a lot in education, and that's growth mindset. And I'll be honest with you, and I don't think it will surprise you, in education we hear a lot of <laughs> buzzwords and right. things. And all of them have merit at some level, you know, but sometimes we tend to just be like, okay, growth mindset, okay, responsive classroom, okay. You know, we have this slew of things coming at us. Do you right. mind talking a little bit about yeah. what a growth mindset means to you and right. why it's so important to nurture this in students? Yeah. So um, the reason why growth mindset works in neuroscience, it's because it aligns well with neuroplasticity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I know that you understand, you know, growth mindset is that principle that we are not born with a fixed intelligence, but that right. your brain can get smarter. Um, and if we embrace learning opportunities, we can grow our intelligence and we can grow our brain. Um, and people who understand that the brain can get smarter, um, who have a growth mindset, they do better in life. That's what research right. shows. They do better in life because they, um, they have an empowering perspective on learning. So it's embracing that yet, right? Like I can't do this yet, as opposed to I can't do it at all, mm, because yeah. it looks like um, embracing the yet allows you to rise to the challenge of things that you haven't uh, quite mastered, right? right. Um, and that is really um, underlying what we need to learn. And we know that learning leads to plasticity in the brain. When we engage in new things, we form and strengthen connections in our brain that make us smarter in the long run. That's neuroplasticity. So the, the power of growth mindset comes in, in just having a student understand that not because I can't do it now means I'm not going to do it ever and giving up, right? It's right. having a student be willing to try because that's the process of learning and learning is what changes the brain and leads to those plastic moments that, that really strengthen those connections and eventually make things easier with time. So um, the growth mindset kind of maps on really nicely with neuroplasticity because of the reason that it encourages learning, growth, and not giving up even when things get hard, because we know the more you recruit that circuitry in your brain, the easier it's going to come with time. And, you know, these, what's very popular now, I'm just thinking of this as you speak, you know, this like kind of affirmation, yeah, chanting and stuff. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I'll, I remember I told, I'm not I'm kind of cynical. So I think <laughs> yes. my my thing is, and I readily admit it's not the best mindset, is I'm just, I feel uncomfortable saying like, I am smart. I am, mm. you know, this is a very popular thing to do. And lately I've been asking myself, should I be doing that more with students? Do you have anything right, to right. say to that kind of affirmation yeah. approach? <laughs> Well, you know what? Affirmation is, is a really interesting thing. And there are there is science around affirmations, right? And it's yeah. the concept of of whatever you repeat, again, with this whole neuroplasticity thing, whatever you re you repeat, that becomes 
eventually automatic in your brain. And sometimes it is it is an active way to change negative thinking, right? Because we are prone to think negatively. It's just the way the brain I know works. I because <laughs> we all are, right? Because the brain wants to protect us, right? So the brain helps us to think negatively. It triggers a huge evoke response. Like when we're right. looking at the science, it does that because it wants us to, to pipe up to take alert and say, are you in danger? Right. Do something about Protect it, right? Us. Yeah. Protect yourself. So, and that's what the brain is all about. But given our current life, things that we are fearful about, um, if we if we don't address that problem thinking, it could be deep rooted. It could create those circuitries in the brain that are hard to change. And then when we're faced with challenges, we can say, I'm just not smart or, or I just right. can't do this. So I've never been able to do this and lean into that negative thinking. What affirmations allow you to do is kind of combat those things in, in laying down circuitry for positive thinking, for positive self-esteem and self-confidence and self-awareness. And, you know, there is research that shows that um, that after some time of reciting um, affirmations, they 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 are they the activation in the brain that it kind of triggers in those areas that are responsible for a perception of self, they last beyond those affirmations. Like during the day when you're faced with a difficult situation, right. that 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 um activation in the brain can reflect a differing opinion of yourself, right? Mm. So there is research that shows that affirmation does affect negative thinking. It does help us to better situate ourselves when life gets hard. And it does activate those brain areas that are responsible for, for perception of self, which could be very advantageous when we are challenged and we need to call on some of those resources to kind of get us back on track saying, you know what, I'm capable, I'm able to do hard things, I am able to succeed, right, when given right. the right resources and what have you. So there is merit to it and the science, like everything else shows, the more you do something is the more you're changing the brain. And if after are changing the brain for the better, we can leverage that in situations where yeah. it's tough and we need we to should. call on those and that yeah. inner strength. Yeah, I think I'm going to start right now. Affirmations <laughs> can change the brain, Missy. It can, yes. At <laughs> least change, the science says. It can change my brain. <laughs> um, yes, all right, yes. well, kind of also related to that, I, I'm, yeah. I want to switch gears um, okay. For the last part of our just today's episode, because I hope you'll come back one day. I want to talk a little bit about teachers. Uh, before we started the episode, I was <laughs> giving you a depressing rendition of my day and just talking a bit about what has been an incredibly challenging year. Certainly challenging for every human being on the planet. And I'm not, I never want to say, you know, our profession has it harder than all the other professions. But I would like to talk a little bit about the specifics of what's going on for teachers. Because I know that even the people listening right now, there are so many struggling. And we've got this increase in stressors on top of our normal teaching load. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about chronic stress and yeah its immediate impact on, you know, the areas of the brain that deal with uh, executive function and, and yeah. emotions, as well as what's happening to us neurologically or otherwise when that stress becomes prolonged. 
Right. Yeah. This is such an important topic. And you know what? I appreciate all that you're doing as a teacher and all that Thank the teachers you. are doing. Um, I, I talk with teachers on a regular basis because some of my other work and it seems like these challenges are universal. So I want you to know that without you guys, our kids will be <laughs> Thank you. In, in, in a hot mess. So I really appreciate um, what you're doing. And I think talking about stress in a stressful profession is very important. Now, you know, um, our brain, as we as we just were talking about, right, um, stress could be helpful at times when it's prolonged. It's not right. So stressful situations, it strongly activates a system in our body called the HPA axis. And that stands for the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Now, all those big words just talk about different parts of the body that's activated when we're stressed out. Right. So that's what that acronym is about. And the system is really a feedback loop. Right. So it controls the release of our stress hormone cortisol and our body's response to that. So like our racing heart and our sweaty palms, that's what this system is controlling. So in the short term, the HPA axis, it's activated to protect us from an imminent threat, right? By, by shifting our focus from like relaxation to more of a defensive behavior, right? In the sure. moment when cortisol is active, our brains are sharper. So we think more clearly. It gives us energy to the important muscles in our bodies. It increases our heart rate and breathing. So we have, you know, oxygen flowing so we can run, we can fight, we can do what we need to do to get out of that, of that danger situation. So in the moment, it can be helpful, right? This axis also talks to um, different parts of the body. So the parts that regulate emotion, right? That regulate our fear and our problem solving, our cognitive parts. And these are called like the amygdala for our fear response and then the prefrontal cortex for that cognitive processing, problem solving, decision making area of our brain. And they all work together to keep us alive. Right. right? Thank you. So exactly. Thank you to Thank the you, Axis and the HPA. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> but what happens is that when we have excessive stress, right? And, and unfortunately, some of the situations that we're currently coping with, this prolonged activity of the HPA axis, it's becoming detrimental to our physical and our mental health. Cortisol is actually a neurotoxin and it is a toxin, right? So it can create damage in the brain. So when it's active for a prolonged period of time, it starts to affect the growth and the function of places in our brain that that underline learning and memory, right? So it increases activity in our fear center, like those places. It also, as a toxin, begins to break down areas of the brain that are responsible for how we remember things and how we learn new things, right? That's the hippocampus. It also starts to shrink brain areas related to thinking and reasoning. That's our prefrontal cortex. So it can do a lot of damage, yeah. right? Um, so we have to be very careful with this. And, and really, um, like prolonged stress can lead to things like depression, anxiety, even post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and because it impacts areas of the brain that underlie learning and memory, it can lead to some types of dementia. So we really have to start to control and manage stress in can our hear, lives. Can you hear me deep breathing? As we're <laughs> I'm having so stress just thinking about it. I know, I know. It is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me ask kind of a sub question, you know, when I think about the life of an educator, we're a people who by and large are 
you know, at work late, at work early, mm. taking work home nights, weekends, you know, having to, if you're a band teacher, you're constantly, you know, rehearsal in the summer, rehearsal in the morning, rehearsal in the afternoon, uh, right after school in the evening, we spend our own money on mm. our students and our programs. Uh, we lead or attend professional development on the weekends at night in the summer when you think of all these things and now let's put on top of it a, a pretty significant growing anti-teacher sentiment at least here in the good old United States of America where we're getting a lot of pushback about not just how we're teaching but now what we're teaching what we can what we can't teach and then you know as the beautiful cherry on top you know, we have this myriad ways in which the pandemic has not only impacted like instruction and our student bodies, but our bodies, you know, right. as teachers and our families. So when you take all this into consideration uh, through the lens of neuroscience, which I mm -hmm. cannot speak to, and you talked about, you know, some of the impact of prolonged stress, what are some or do you know some or I hope you know some, you know, day-to-day -day short term strategies to counteract this kind of stress and maybe some things that honestly might dismantle the potential long term impact over time. Um right. just I know you're these are just suggestions. You're not speaking yeah. to any one person. Yes. You know. Yes. And thank you for that disclaimer. Yes, these are just <laughs> these are yes. just suggestions right yes. and and of course I can share some it would not be an exhaustive list and sure um I just I just want to put it out here that out there that we have to realize that that teachers are people first so yes. a lot of these not a lot of people realize that let me just <laughs> I think we have some people under misapprehension that we are I always and can I tell you I've I've started to feel this in the past 10 years and it's funny but it's not ultimately mm -hmm. I remember saying 10 years ago, I'm starting to feel like in the eyes of some parents, not all, right. I am simply another tool in a mm. toolbox for their kids' success. And it's like, I want them to have a good laptop and I want them to have a good teacher and I want, and the mm. teacher will do what I tell them to do. Our humanness is not acknowledged, and yes, as a matter of fact, yes. it's kind of run over. But okay, I'll stop talking now. Go yes, <laughs> no, but I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that because I think we have to we have to address that when we talk about self care, when we talk about managing stress, we have to say, you know what, I am a human, and there are some very basic things that I can do to correct this impact of stress on my brain um, that works because I'm a human being, right? right. And, and this is just the way that my body. <laughs> works first and foremost I have like I'm a big advocate for therapy for, yes. for getting help if you need it right sometimes if if prolonged stress has gotten to the place where you're feeling depressed depressed and anxiety is coming on and there's a lot of it's impacting your quality of life and your ability to function in the day-to-day -day, you might need to see a therapist or a doctor you might yeah. need medication and that's okay these changes stress changes the chemistry of our brain Absolutely. and that's what medicine is right Right. Medicine right. is a chemical solution that kind of helps to mimic naturally occurring chemicals to act on the same receptors in the brain to help us get to a normal level. So if you need medication, there's no harm in it. 
right. go see your doctor. No you know, shame. If you need no shame, if you need therapy, just someone to listen to talk things through. Therapists are trained in strategies of ways to address problematic thinking and problematic circuitry in the brain. And they have the tools to help right. kind of address some of these subconscious thoughts, these emotions, these things that are getting in the way of a good quality of life. So first and foremost, therapy is absolutely something that that could be used if you feel that you are you are gone into the place where your quality of life is impaired and you just need some extra help right right um another thing and you've said this many times so far missy <laughs> as we've been chatting is deep breathing right yes. and, and and deep breathing really what it does is it increases the oxygen to the brain it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system so the the opposite of this is the sympathetic nervous system and that's our fight or flight that's our where we're all revved up and the adrenaline is flowing right what deep breathing does it activates the opposite system the rest the relax the digest system and these systems cannot happen at the same time. So if we're calming our body down with breathing, we're also calming down that fear and anxiety response. It cannot happen if we are deep breathing. Right. Uh, mutually exclusive. <laughs> They're mutually <laughs> exclusive, right? So it does calm the body down and, and it kind of brings our breath to our conscious awareness. Sometimes you can imagine when you're in an anxious situation, you start to like breathe really shallow. Yeah. You don't always know that. But by practicing deep breathing, it's bringing your breathing to conscious um, control and it can affect, you know, uh, that system that helps you to relax. Some like super basic things again, and, and, and you know what, I, I do not like exercising. I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I only do it because I have to, right, right. but what, but what exercising staying active really does it, it increases hormones that provide an excellent environment for the growth of new brain cells. So we're stressing out our brain. We can create new brain cells mm. and how we do that exercise is a huge catalyst towards that. It really promotes neuroplasticity by stimulating uh, these new connections and, and new proteins in our brain that, that facilitates new connections, new brain cells and brain health. So it really is very powerful. And it also releases those happy, helpful right. mood uh, changing chemicals like endorphins and dopamine, right? right. So it's, it's, it's helpful to kind of address some of the stress it's exercise in itself is medicine. So thinking about that could be really helpful going outside, you know, now that it's summertime or springtime, um, that beautiful sun, we underestimate how much that sun triggers chemical changes in our body. Mm. Um, it actually boosts our moods by increasing serotonin levels and serotonin is really our mood boosting chemical. Right. So just being out in the sun, helps us to create more serotonin, which would then improve our mood, right? right. And decrease depression. Um, sleep, oh my goodness. So, so, oh so sun also affects our sleep, which is good. It helps us to get that in order. And I will talk about sleep too, because that's a very important topic. Um, getting outside in the sun also produces vitamin D, which is really great for like, you know, reducing inflammation. It lowers our blood pressure, great things. Get outside in the sun get out in nature, it does wonders, right? Um, eating well, 
That's important. And I'll tell you why. I think sometimes when we're stressed out, we stress eat or we go for the, the quickest thing. I've never heard of that. That's terrible. Nobody should I do know. that. Or we go for like, you know, that, that bag of potato chips. Right. I do it all the, the time. The crumble cookies. Is, oh my goodness. Any, anything to like right. that I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, understanding that what are, what we do when we eat, those create the building blocks for which we synthesize neurochemicals. So if we're eating the wrong foods, we're not producing the right chemicals that our brain needs to work. So that's why it's important that we watch what we eat, right? Eating foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, that are high in antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, these things nourish our brain and creates those neurochemicals that strengthen the activity up there, right? Because our brain our brain um, it needs chemicals, neurochemicals to work. So this all kind of helps our health. Now let's talk about sleep. Let's let's get to that. Oh boy. This <laughs> is know, right I, for me. You're coming for I me. Know. Easier said than done. But the reality, as I mentioned before, is cortisol, our stress hormone, is a toxin. It's a neurotoxin. Sleep, however, is the housekeeper. So what sleep does, our brain is still very active while we're sleeping. We might be asleep, but it's still working. It's working. And when we are asleep, what happens is that it plays a housekeeping role that removes toxins, including cortisol, from our, from our brain that builds up while we're awake. So it really helps to maintain those pathways in our brain that solidify memory and learning, the things that are affected by stress. Sleep helps us to remove the toxins toxins from those systems so that we can still have access to the efficiency of those systems. It really um, allows that housekeeping process to happen. So when we don't sleep for a sufficient amount of time and we, and you know, cortisol is flying around in our brain, you right. feel foggy. You feel like you can't <laughs> concentrate. You feel like, you know, you can't remember where you put your keys or what you're doing at 5 p.m. It just gets <laughs> a little, you know, chaotic up there. Mm-hmm. So have getting enough sleep helps to remove cortisol from your body, from your brain, which can be very, very effective for dealing with stress. And one last thing I would mention in terms of things that we can do on the day-to-day to help with stress is connecting with people we trust and with people mm-hmm. that we love. It is so powerful. Research shows that you know quality social connections improves our overall mental health. And it also improves our Mm. cognitive function and it can also prevent cognitive decline. So, I mean, like that's like heavy hitters. Those are really, really great things, right? Right. They even show that socializing might lower your risk of dementia. And we know that cortisol can lead to dementia, all those kinds of things. So it's important to connect with folks, right? Um, You know, there's a neurochemical called oxytocin that's involved when we feel supported. It encourages and maintains those positive interactions between our loved ones and our ourselves. And research really shows that when we are engaging in these social relationships, we are healthier. Um, True, authentic social relationships, right? It's the quality, not the quantity. If it's one person, that is more impactful than having 10 people in social media you don't really know. Right, 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 right. right. So, So the quality of the relationship is important and it actually triggers positive chemical changes in our brain that helps us to deal with stress keep a healthy brain and keep us cognitively sound. So those are some things that I would kind of recommend um, you do to combat stress. Kind of, let me see if I could remember them all to kind of, you know, recap it here for you. The first thing really would be if you need therapy, 
get it. And by the way, can I just make it? This is a very informed statement. Um, Everybody listening, there's probably only one of you who doesn't really need therapy. So everybody go get therapy. Yeah, we all go. We all go. It's, it's, it's important. It's important. It's the same as having a GP. It's important, right? Um, Practice deep breathing. It helps your brain stay active. Even if it's a 20 minute walk in the afternoon, you know, just get some sunlight. It helps the brain, Um, you know, eat well, eat foods that you know are healthy because they actually nourish the brain. It's what we need to build those helpful chemicals, get enough sleep, because it helps to remove the cortisol. And lastly, really connect with people who love you because they can change your brain chemistry and help with regulating um, stress. And I'm thinking maybe draw some boundaries around the people who yes. don't. 100%, absolutely. Don't foster that kind of trust and love. And I'm just asking yeah. this for a friend before we go. Let's mm-hmm. say I have 200 quality connections uh, great friends. Could I get less sleep and eat worse food? I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> Is this a, like a balance? <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I know. I know. No, this is, I'm, you know, I was excited you were coming on anyway, but <laughs> I feel, and this is not, I do not say this often. I feel very um, encouraged because I know that some of this is common sense, but Mm -hmm. like even me, I've studied this stuff as an amateur person, but there was so much richness in uh, what you shared for me as an educator uh, and as a human being. And I really hope uh, that, you know, the people listening will take these things to heart. The teachers who are struggling um, will take some steps, you know, to change like start with one of these areas um, so that you're not overwhelmed with like, I got to get a therapist. I got to get more sleep. I got to go in the sun. I got to, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to um, again, say a very sincere thank you uh, for your work and for being here on the podcast. And um, I just love a good neuroscientist. Like <laughs> I personally, you might, you don't tell him my favorite neuroscientist right now is Stefan Kolsch from Germany. He yes. does a lot of work with music and I don't know. It might be you now. So I don't, <laughs> nobody tell him cause he follows me on Twitter. And I, that was a big moment for me last year. So we don't speak the same language, but we have the language of neuroscience. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you know. that. And it will be our secret. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just you and me and some thousands of people. Um, (laughs) no, thank you. Thank you for sharing your expertise, uh, and your time. And I hope, uh, you'll be more musical today and tap into that, uh, vocal performer in you and come back and spend more time with us. I would love to. Thank you so much, Missy. Guys, like I said, I think I have a new favorite neuroscientist for real. Wasn't she fantastic? My head was spinning after talking to Dr. Chrissy in so many good ways. I was taking a ton of notes, so many that it was hard to pinpoint just one thing that stood out more than another. But I do want to say that I so appreciated her willingness to help me think in a new way about my issues with teaching notation before age seven. 
I don't know that I'll change my mind about it. Maybe I will. But she definitely gave me some things to think about. And I know she did the same for you. Let's remember to take care of our brains so that they can take care of us. Please make sure to follow Dr. Chrissy on social media and check out her website, links to which you can find on the episode page. And speaking of socials, I have a giveaway for my followers on Music Ed with Missy, both on Facebook and Instagram, as well as those who follow me on my Twitter account, DocStrong26. The phrase you are looking for is, will summer ever begin? Email this phrase to me at musicedwithmissy at gmail.com under the subject line GIA Book Giveaway. And you might be the recipient of one of the two newest books through GIA Publications, edited by Dr. Karen Howard. The first one is Voice Collectors, Stories and Songs of Chinese Culture Bearers, or the second book, Harambe, Songs and Games from Tanzania. I hope lots of you will enter this one. I wanted to talk about some courses that I'll be teaching that are coming up very soon this summer, just in case you're interested. I start with First Steps in Music, June 28th through 30th at Colorado Mesa University in beautiful Grand Junction, Colorado. Then July 11th through the 14th, I'll be teaching First Steps at Toccoa Falls College in Northern Georgia. And then I get to be with my wonderful Forney family in Texas, July 18th, through the 21st. I'll also be teaching First Steps in Boston August 15th through the 19th, but that one is only open to music teachers in the Boston Public Schools. So if you're one of those, make sure you check out the information. The only conversational Solfege course I will be teaching this summer happens July 25th through the 29th at Villanova University through the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania which is also available for grad credits. That one is currently at capacity, but there is a waiting list. So if you're interested, as the TV people say, act soon because I sure would love to see you in person. Did you know that there are two ways you can support the Music Ed Amplified podcast and my own work? The first is the Music Ed with Missy Teacher Pay Teacher Store, where you can find resources like the Move Along with Dr. Strong Creative Movement Cards and my pillars of the music class. The second way is by visiting the Music Ed with Missy Buy Me a Coffee site at buymeacoffee.com slash missystrong. You can make a small one-time donation or you can become a member at the Earl Grey or afternoon tea levels. When you become a member, you will get other benefits and fun stuff too, like graphics I've created for my classroom, those move-along cards I just talked about, and just today, I put up a really fun uh, karaoke slide presentation that you can use uh, at the beginning of school, at the end of school, or when your voice needs a break. Also, I'm going to do just a couple of shout outs to our latest batch of new members. First, from the afternoon tea level, Jan D, Gavri Y, Jennifer L, and Callie M as well as my girl, Karen E., our newest Earl Grey level member. I truly am so thankful to each and every one of you for joining and for your encouragement. If you're interested in finding out more about it, please check it out at buymeacoffee.com slash missystrong. Thank you, as always, for spending time with me. 
I know for sure you are busy, although I hope you're a little less busy if you're already in the summer, and life demands so much from you. I hope it was worthwhile and that you're motivated to reflect on your philosophy and practice. I'll see you next time, but until then, keep doing all you can to create a more musical, joyful, thoughtful, just world for your students, families, and community. Mm-hmm.